As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and ever in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Ashley Ringrose, founder of SMG Studio. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Ash. How are you? Hey, good. Uh, here on a, a locked, not locked in our house, but you know, uh, bunkered down. Feels a bit like it sometimes, though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, luckily, I've got a I've got a backyard now, so um, not not too bad. But yeah, I feel I feel for those people that are just in like apartments and they can't leave, or you know, have to yeah, literally can't can't just go outside to catch some sun. Yeah, and even if they do just try to escape from the apartment, they're still surrounded by other people as they may be walking in and out of the building. You don't really get to escape too much. It's a it's a crazy time. Uh, yeah, definitely. We're uh, we're, we're all part of a, a massive global um, psychological experiment right now, and you know there'll be studies of this. This is just great fodder for people that are entering into university next year in anthropology or something. This is going to be yeah. a, an amazing. Uh, 100%. Oh, this is this is uh, the old days of Big Brother on steroids or something like oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also laced with a giant global pandemic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from all around the industry about their experiences, their stories, how they basically came to be where they currently are. Now, Ash, before we get to you and your career and, and some of the things you've done once you got into the games industry, I wanted to rewind a little bit and talk about some of your first experiences in games, um, some of the first games you played, some of the first experiences you had. Do you recall what some of those were? Yeah, I think I remember I had a Sega Master System. Oh, yeah? And then, and then I went to... This This is this is just one moment that stuck with me out. And then I went to a new school, this is on the Gold Coast, and then I told people like, Hey, I've got that Sonic game, and they're like, "Oh, Sonic the Hedgehog on the Mega Drive," and I'm like, "No, no, no, on the um, Master System." And then they just basically like didn't even want to talk to me. Oh, <laughs> right. Like, okay. And then I was like, what? <laughs> "There's a what's a Mega Drive?" And then I was like, "All right, I got to get a Mega Drive." So, um, you know, I was a Sonic, I was a Sega Sonic kid, but I remember I just remember that going like, oh, "I'm finally part of the cool crew," and then I just wasn't cool enough because I didn't have a Mega Drive, but. Um, saved up all my uh, uh, pocket money and uh, newspaper money and got a Mega Drive and you know I even bought a um, uh, Mega CD. I remember paying oh, six hundred ninety nine yeah. six hundred ninety nine Australian dollars back. Oh, what, what, what would have been like ninety four or five or something? Or yeah, probably somewhere in that window. Yeah, that seems yeah. about right off the top of my head. Yep, I had it on layby at Target. I saved every penny. Got it. I had like Ground Zero Texas, Sonic CD, wrote, came came with Road Warrior and stuff. And I think that was the biggest uh, game regret. I mean, I should have kept it. I probably could have resold it to have some. Oh, yeah. Huge uh, collector's edition right now. Yeah. But uh, man, that was like the big. I don't even know what I did with it. I think I just probably gave it away or eBayed it. Well, not, not eBayed back then, but like sold it at the trading post for like 50 bucks or something. But um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a massive. Uh, uh, disappointment but yeah i was a, i was you know from that moment from mega drive onwards i was kind of obsessed with games like i would rent the games from um video easy um on like saturday morning i'd race down there as soon as it opened 
rent the video game like Streets of Rage 1 and 2 or something like that. And yep. then I'd return it at like 5.55 p.m. on the Sunday. So I'd get the full weekend out of my... You like, really max it out. Yeah. And I even found a piece of paper. So I used to like rate the games. So I'd be like, you know, okay, Streets of Rage, playability, replayability. Oh, you know, really? Be, the old, the, the real old school sort of review system almost yeah. in a lot of ways. So I'd, I'd like have all these... I had this like complicated system of, you know, how much fun it was and graphics and replayability. But yeah, that, that that would be my like you know seven dollars for the week. I'd plop it down and just spend the whole day uh, playing on the Mega Drive. So I think they're they're my earliest moments, and it's it's kind of you know I found uh, you know I had I found my old school book, you know like my uh, oh like the school week. magazines, the end of year magazine things. No, like the you know your your assignments and you know your, your oh file, right a bunch of files, and I had a printout from like here's my tips for Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> level one and it was all written in this like uh, printed out on one of those dot matrix printers in cursive uh font and stuff so yeah i was pretty pretty obsessed with yeah, the game very early age used to used to read hyper magazine you know i'd have every one of those and then i had i think game star magazine when it was out so they're, they're kind of my memories like i was pretty pretty into it back then but in those days like i didn't know that you could be a game developer i didn't know who even made games yeah. it was just you know Hey, I want to play Streets of Rage. It's fun. I get it. I'll do it. I enjoy this. Yeah, it's not like oh, you know, this is who was doing the soundtrack or who who's developing it. You know, um, for me, it was just there was just Sega and there was Nintendo. You know, uh, so clearly, clearly, as far as I'm concerned, you pick you were on the wrong side of the fence as far as the whole Sega Nintendo thing's concerned. Uh, yeah, we yeah, we I mean, were sitting on our side thinking that we were the cool kids, so there's there's an issue starting to develop here, I think. Yeah, yeah. There was <laughs> the, um, I mean, it wasn't that big a rivalry in on my school in that sense. It was just, you know, did you play games? It was fine. I mean, you know, I played Mortal... I loved Mortal Kombat on the Mega Drive. Yeah. Like that, that was... And then it was like, ugh, you know, you can't get blood on the SNES. Like, ugh, so lame. Um, we had one kid on the Sega side and... I wouldn't say he was ostracized, but he certainly didn't get as much attention or love as, as everyone else yeah. who was on the Nintendo side of the fence over there. So we were almost the complete opposite. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look back, like Sonic versus Mario back in those... I mean, Mario's had more longevity, but... Oh, for sure. But at, at that one peak time, you know, like, it was pretty... They were pretty comparable. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, that's since I, my first Nintendo console was a Switch, so... You know, it was easy for me to, um, uh, you know, kind of catch up. And when they have those remakes, it's like, oh, cool, everything's oh, fresh. Oh, sure, yeah. But, um, so but, yeah, how did your taste in games kind of develop? Were there particular franchises or genres that you kind of latched onto as you grew older? Or yeah. even changes in platforms, moving away from Sega as, I guess, it waned in uh, popularity? Yeah. If, I think- one, way to, one way to put it in the early, late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, I think then I um, had a period where I had a computer, so I was playing, you know, your Sim City, your Civilization, Transport Tycoon, yeah. uh, uh, Heroes of Might and Magic. I loved a lot of the uh, turn-based strategy games where I could like save the game, make my turn. If it didn't work out, then I'd load my save and play. Oh yeah, good, um, good, good, good. So it was less about being, you know, the ultimate strategist and just, you know, all right, I'm just gonna gonna keep playing this. Um, and then during that kind of 98-plus period, I moved to Sydney to study and basically didn't play games at all because I was too busy working, doing, I was studying graphic design, working at Woolworths, stacking the 
um, the dairy fridge um, and then working at Kinko's and stuff. And so I had this like brief period where I had no console, no gaming time at all. And also did, I had Did a you Mac fall out of love with it a bit at that period or uh, was it just some, one of those things that just kind of had to sit on the no, si- uh, sidelines for a little while? No, I was, I was the, um, you know, studying graphic design. And so um, I had a Macintosh, so you couldn't get any games yeah, on that, okay. that point unless you wanted to play Warcraft. And then I would just get home and I'd just go straight to doing homework and study. And I would just, you know, I was trying to be the overachiever. So, you know, if I said do five things, I'd do 15. And so I, that would be, I'd just be like nonstop working on that stuff. So design yeah, sure. things and, you know, tissue boxes and learning illustrator and stuff like that. So it was more of a factor of, um, uh, had, had no time or nothing there. And, I think I didn't get back into it till I had a PlayStation One or was it PlayStation Two? I think it was PlayStation One, the big, the big grey one. Yeah, the, so the yeah, the grey one was the PS One. PS Two was early two thousands for yep. a lot of people in that regard. The novelty yes. being the DVD player at the time. Yeah, so I had we so I got I got back into it then when I'd finished studying and then had a job. And yeah. I, remember, I remember one time I had chicken pox, and this would have been when I was twenty. I think I was twenty, and then. I was like, wow, I'm stuck inside for two days. So I basically downloaded as many Mamie ROMs as I could. <laughs> just sat there, you know, playing them all like, oh, right, dry. slug and stuff. So um, kind of kind of got back into it then. And my uh, girlfriend, now my wife, um, was playing The Sims, Pubble Buzzle and stuff. And um, so, we, were, you know, she was playing on her, her games. I was playing my games. So, yeah, we kind of, kind of got back into it then. And then that time I was also doing a lot of Flash games. So, yeah, so I've I've kind of jotted a few things down there. So obviously, yeah, you you did mention that that phase at uh, at Kinko's there, and then I've, there was this web design portion you're doing. Obviously, built on top of your graphic design studies that you've been doing there. You did some work for Intel and Volvo, if I, if I've done my research correctly. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that, that were that was an um, Euro uh, agency called Euro Euro RSCG. Yeah. Um, and you know, I did the Intel Web Outfitter websites and graphic design bits and pieces like you know and flash banners i remember doing a website for iomega zip disks yeah okay um volvo would have been maybe some banners and stuff very minor but um yeah whole range of things and during that time um or just before i got that the reason i got that job was because i learned flash while i was at kinko's i was doing graveyard shift so i was working from 11 o'clock at night till seven in the morning um at kinko's yeah which which was a and i think it's still a maybe it's not around anymore in australia but it was a 24 hour familiar with it but it was a 24 hour place so you could go in there at any time 24 7 um swipe in on a computer where you pay by the hour you know like five dollars an hour and then print some stuff in print off you know oh it's seven cents a sheet so you know and you could drop some. You could go in there on a Friday night, drop some files off, and say, "Hey, I need this printed by Monday," and it would get printed. You pick it up on Monday, so you know, Not bad. actually, really good for you. The good uh, old days. Yeah, good old days. So, so I was working in North Sydney, which is a very nine to five city. So, like at five o'clock, everyone goes home. The weekend, it's completely empty. I was working graveyard shift on the weekends, Oof. and there was nobody. Like literally, like we were just sitting around going, "Well, what do we do?" And I was playing Diablo. We we're playing <laughs> wiffle ball with like a big roll of sticky tape ball and was like man i'm getting bored after this after a couple of weeks so, yeah, and so i'll self-teach myself a little bit yeah so then I'll, I'll start doing some you know download some flash kit tutorials and do that so started tinkering that way and and that's kind of you know what led to you know i'll do tinker with some 
um, silly flash games, you know, memory games and stuff like that. And so it kind of snowballed. And by doing learning all that flash in my graphic design final um, kind of piece, I did a website for gateway computers. I don't know if you remember those, but they used, everything was like cow vaguely. It was, everything vaguely. was like cow pattern. Um, so I did a website um, for gateway computers with like this cowboy. It was all animated. And the agency saw me and said, oh, this is great. So I got a job straight out of school from that. So it was kind of this and, you know, doing and I was doing flash games and flash experiments in my spare time and then kind of got another job. And we were just doing a whole bunch of flash games and kind of really liked that side of it. And back in, you know, that would have been 90 from 98 to 2000, you know, simple flash games, maybe uploading them to flash kit watching stuff on Newgrounds and, you know, the amazing stuff getting done on Newgrounds. There's some great stuff there, yeah. By Tom Fulp and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, those are, in, um, you know, intense and just kind of expanding on that. And then in 2002, it was like, all right, I want to start my own company. and All I want to do is flash games. Um, you know, th- that would be really fun. So we started that. And then about a couple of months later, it was like, wow, I'm going to get paid more to do flash banners than a flash game. All right, I'll do that because I can do a flash banner in like yeah. you know, two, three days. Um, and a game would take me at that point, maybe take me a week or so, you know, like we're, we're doing it pretty quick. Yes. Um, so yeah. And then now we've almost come full circle from doing banners and CD ROMs and websites to now being dedicated back to games again. But yeah, I think it's kind of this trajectory of like, I kind of went from graphic design to web flash then to games, but at no point when I was a kid was like, Oh, I want to make games or I want to be, you know, I want to make a monkey island of my own. Yeah, similar to what you said before, you didn't necessarily see the potential for an actual career in it at that stage. Yeah, not didn't, even yeah. Like, the thought of making a game on a console. Even when I was at my, you know, had my agency soap, and I think it was like I met with Marvel in the US out of this weird um, situation. We did all these flash games for yep. Marvel Marvel kids, and then this new um, CEO came in, Ira. And he's like, I want, I want, I want you guys. Can you guys do me a Marvel pinball game on the consoles? And I was like, I don't know how to make a console game. And I was like looking it up, and it's like, how do you make a game on it? <laughs> um, so even then, I was, you know, still quite new to it um, and had no idea. So yeah, I think I'm a bit different in that sense because I really came from a graphic design, advertising point of view that just liked making flash games. Then the person who was like, oh, I, I you know. You know, I loved Final Fantasy, played, you know, played all that, played all these games, but I never really followed who made them, you know. I loved yeah. Secret of Monkey Island, but I didn't know Ron Gilbert did it until, you know, many, many well, years later. Yeah. And which which I guess would have been a really great experience, though, when you're starting to make all these connections later on. They're going, oh, Ron Gilbert, what else has he done? Oh, that game that I played, that game that I played, this yeah. game, you know, and, and similar things for other creators, I guess, over the journey. I'm sure that would have been a great little experience as all of a sudden you've fallen down the well in some ways. Yeah, yeah, and I think it also, um, I guess I'm more of a game fan than a game designer, um, you know, came from it more from a player perspective. Yes. You know, I even thinking now, it's like, oh, I remember going to Myers and I'd play Seventh Guest on the um, on the computer there, and yeah. I have no idea who made, I still don't, I, like, you know, I'd have to look it up now, but who made Seventh Guest and who, who was the... I've got nothing the, for you there. Yeah, got no idea um even though i played that a lot of many times um it's just a real yeah i, I guess i just didn't delve that deep in it. same with movies you know like oh i love the james bond movies 
but I didn't know who the directors were. Um, yeah. I still don't really. Um, yeah, I couldn't give you that either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can tell maybe, you some of the James Bonds, but that's about it. Yeah, maybe that's a bit obtuse. But, you know, like I, th- I think it was, you know, I read that book, um, Down and Dirty Pictures. I think it was really the Miramax guys with like Tarantino and stuff where they really started to make the directors be at the forefront. And I think even yeah. in video games outside of Sid Meier, um sim city like no one really had their name at the top of the box so. certainly at the time yeah yeah and it still doesn't happen all that much these days i think maybe kojima is one of the few exceptions where they'll plaster his name right there yeah it's still not it's still not you know big big font or big text or anything like that it is still just a small subtitle as well a hideo kojima game or something like that yeah so. yeah and it, it is a weird one it's, i mean it's like the um it's like Elon Musk and, and Tesla. Like, if you name name three people that work at Tesla, <laughs> it's like uh, I can Elon. Tell you Elon Musk, and that's it. Yeah, I'm yeah, done. Yeah. And and funnily enough, like, did, do you know who the CEO of Tesla is now? I'm guessing it's not Elon. <laughs> that's, like, he got kicked out because of the um the thing. Uh, I, I've forgotten her name, but she used to be this um, marketing or, or head of like Tel Telstra in Australia. Oh, really? So she's the woman at, who's the CEO of Tesla right now. Um, you don't hear about it because she's doing her job. She's not showboating while yeah, Tesla, you know, uh, Elon gets all the things, uh, gets all the press and stuff. But, you know, if I was a designer at Tesla, I'd feel, you know, I guess you got Jonathan Ive at Apple. But who's the, who's the Jonathan Ive of Tesla? So uh, I don't yeah, know. No idea. Part, of, part of it does it weird, weird with me because a lot of the games are very um, group-based. It's yeah. weird to have a, a, just a name a there. Figurehead, but figurehead, yeah. A figurehead, but um, I definitely now can see the the value, the value or the the reason for doing that. But I don't. I'm just going off on a weird tangent now. But no, no, but um, it is an interesting one. I mean, um, obviously, there's lots of people in the industry. I'm sure that would be very happy not to have their name plastered all over the front cover, and that's something they, they're very much of the mind. I'll just put my head down. I'll do my work. It makes me happy, and I don't need the the craziness that can come with it sometimes. But there are others. I'm sure on the on the opposite side of that who you know, not in any sort of arrogant way or anything like that, but that sort of recognition is something they're maybe looking for as well. Again, they still derive so much enjoyment from the art and the creation, but there's that little bit extra that maybe fills their bucket, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kojima's his own um, his own brand as well. Yeah. But I think he's slowly started now, you know, mentioning up, you know, hey, here's another person that worked on this game. Yeah. Quite, you know, quite um, impactful in the the decisions and the, the look of it and um you know it must be hard to when you try and there's so many people that work on these games that you, can, you it's impossible sometimes to kind of give everyone enough credit absolutely yeah it's it's not quite like film or some other other forms of art so yeah yeah now you obviously did mention uh soap just before which has been re- uh, called isobar these days but yeah, we, we merged the team with uh, so the Isobar. Isobar was actually one of our big rivals when we started in two thousand and two. Yeah. They were making flash <laughs> at the time. They were making flash games and other stuff for like the Defense Force and stuff. So yeah, but now we've um, we've merged that soap advertising um, creative um, digital team in yeah. with Isobar. So they kind of absorbed our team. And the the merger that you're talking about there basically gave you in some respects the opportunity to focus your time more on the creation of smg and then the the titles that have spawned from that since is that about right yeah we we already like i was dividing my time between soap side and smg side and you know when we first started smg you know it was probably 20 percent smg time so you know i had the yep. team uh pat 
Ilya, Henrik, um, doing OTTTD, you know, and I was just checking in, um, you know, little bit, little bit of guidance here and there, but you know, it wasn't full time on it because I was doing a lot of soap stuff. And um, as as we progressed and had had other uh, successes with other titles and other things coming up, and also being in digital advertising for so long, from 2002, and then when we started SMG 2013, so. It was like 11 years. I was getting a bit burnt out from the digital advertising side. Yeah. Because the, you know, burnt out more from like the um, the thrill of not knowing stuff. So some on the, on the advertising side, while we're doing a lot of social media and other stuff, a lot of it was new ideas, but nothing that was stretching or pushing ourselves into the unknown. It was like, okay, we're yeah, doing I understand. campaign. Comfortable. Nothing like this. Whereas on the gaming side, I had so much more to learn and it's like, wow, I, all, all these things I don't know. And that was kind of thrilling and a kind of a new challenge. And yeah. so as that progressed and we had success and we were growing the SMG side, I was like, oh, this is more exciting. There's a better return on investment on my time. Um, and so slowly kind of transitioned more onto the SMG side and I think when we did the merger with Isobar, it was good because it kind of freed me up for not having to feel like I'm neglecting one side for the other. It was, you know, I could just fully uh, concentrate. yourself, yeah. yeah. And we did that with a way where, you know, it's not suddenly we say, hey, everyone on the soap side, you're out of a job, you know, like everyone kind of trend, well, most people transitioned over to Isobar and so kind of avoided, you know, any um, negativity there. And, you know, I think for me, it's just been a lot less stressful, you know, not having to jump between uh different trains of thought i can just fully focus on the smg side yep no that, that makes a lot of sense and obviously you know it's been a pretty fruitful period since since smg's formed but even even in those years since you were able to fully transition yourself across people listening right now might know uh smg for any one of or maybe even multiple uh titles such as thumb drift risk we've got death squared uh one more jump bounce line dash there's uh, obviously ott OTT, oh man, you, you guys are so familiar with doing over the top tower defense, uh, yeah. No Way Home, and then the upcoming Moving Out, just to yeah. name a few titles. Um, it's been a pretty fruitful stri- period. Yeah, we've hit our stride now. Um, the, yeah, I think 20, 2020, uh, funnily enough, um, will be our best year um, just from a combination of factors with, you know, Moving Out coming out, No Way Home released uh, in January. Risk is um, just launched on Steam. Um, And then with this whole uh, pandemic, you know, more people are playing games locked in their house. So, you know, we've we've hit a really good period of time, which has uh, made my job much easier in this period with everyone working from home. um, You know, everyone's everyone's job is safe. We're we're doing well. So, you know, in some ways, like this will be, yeah, this will be our best year by far for, for many reasons, not just in it. spite of so many other factors. It's pretty great. Well, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, not, not just from a financial factor, but from a, I feel from a morale and, um, uh, output level, you know, we've really hit our stride now. So, um, it, it's good. Um, and it's definitely, I, I keep saying to people like, it's much easier when you're making money to be <laughs> for sure than when you're not making like when you when when things aren't going well being a boss is very hard and you have to make tougher decisions and um but when things are going well it's like oh it's you know really easy you know um well forming soap in the first place was a bit of a risk um from from everything i've kind of read that was i think you basically carved yourself out a few months or a year was that right to see if that was successful uh for from smg or for soap uh soap in the first place was that right oh yeah yeah i mean when you i yeah, we kind of quit 
um, myself, uh, Rob and Shib at the time, um, we quit our jobs and just said, you know, hey, we'll, you know, we'll do this thing. We'll make some flash games. I think I had about $20,000 in the bank. So yeah, I okay. saved up. Um, but, you know, I will say things were much easier back in 2002. Um, we just, although we'd just come off the, uh, you know, the kind of dot-com bust. Yep. Um, but we weren't trying to be, you know, a billion-dollar company. We just wanted to make flash games. So have a bit uh, of fun in the process. Yeah, but we had no clients. There was no kind of, you know, business plan with air quotes. Um, it was just, hey, we'll do some flash games because we can do those and, you know, start cold calling, emailing people. And we basically ended up being like a, a digital production house for agencies where an agency would have an idea and we would execute it for them. And then we slowly uh, graduated from helping with those ideas and then getting our own clients Um just kind of, you know, as, as most, a lot of businesses do, you kind of bootstrap it and you yeah. organically grow slowly and you hire your first people. Um, but yeah, we kind of, I, th- I think we were quite scrappy in the way we did things. Like we did things, you know, um, well, but we didn't, you know, over-engineer them. Uh, yeah. Did a lot of, um, you know, and, and kept expenses and stuff low enough that, you know, we could survive. I think the first year, I think I, you know, I remember my tax return was like, Mount earned uh, sixteen thousand dollars, you know, and then the second year was like thirty two thousand dollars, you know, just just uh, creeping up. Yeah, just creeping up, and then you know it, it got better after that, but it was still. Um, I think we never went into it thinking like, oh, we're going to make lots of money, we're going to be rich. It was just like, oh, we like doing this type of thing, let's do it, you know, and, and see if we can make something out of it in the process. Yeah. And and my thing was like, oh, well, the worst case scenario is we have to get another job in a year, you know, yeah. like that shouldn't be too hard. At that point, you know, there's a lot of demand for flash developers and web designers and stuff so it wasn't too um too much of a a risk there in that sense so um and yeah i I remember after the first couple of months we're all we'll all work from home because an office is expensive and then i got my first phone bill and it was like an extra 150 dollars because back then you'd have to pay 25 cents for everything for sure it was ridiculous and then it was like well we need to get an office you know like i'm spending way too much on my phone um and you know just other silly things like we'd go to a meeting with a client and they'd say oh where'd you park your car or where, where do you pick up picking up a taxi from and like oh no we took the train <laughs> like, <laughs> we you know took the train to north sydney to have this business meeting and i was like oh no we're taking the train back you know um super bootstrapping it um and it didn't like in my head it wasn't that wasn't even the word bootstrapping like that wasn't in our lexicon when we were doing it back then it was just like oh we need to save money you know um you do what you I, don't do. I, I don't think i ever called myself an entrepreneur but you know back in those days i wasn't an entrepreneur i was just like oh i just i just want to make flash games or i just want to you know it's it's kind of weird how in hindsight it was like oh must you, you should have had this grand plan but we didn't you know um i think just kind of lucky um you know kind of made our way through it and a lot of that was just also just being being honest with people, yep. being creative as well. Like, um, you know, if you try and we, – we never chase the uh, the highest production values, even though we tried to do that, but it was more like we'll come back with interesting ideas. And I think um, interesting ideas are much harder to, to do than it is oh, to do sure. something very polished. So that was our kind of you – know, we'll be creative. We'll add a bit of fun or game factor to it, um, but we'll be the most interesting. We'll be the easiest to – easiest almost best to work with 
will pay people like when we whenever we work with freelancers i try to pay them as fast as i could so if they yeah. give me an invoice i'll try and pay it the next day you know so all those Paying things forward like, in a lot of ways uh yeah but also yeah. it's just like my thing is if if i pay someone within a day and then next month i call them up and I say hey i really need your help they know hey if i do something with that i'm going to get paid straight away so yeah let, let's do it you know if you try and be one of those people that like i don't know why people pay like 30 40 days later uh, maybe maybe they have cash flow issues but you know you, you build up this um resistance for people wanting to work with you so we really tried to uh you know do everything the the fairest way or the good way no you know, i'm that, with you there that, that definitely helps and i remember i was on another who was i talking to seamus oh, i forgot his name seamus mcnally he's now at the australian oh, and right, he was okay. like um and he's like hey i worked with you at um euro back in the day and i was like whoa you know that's a blast from the past <laughs> and you know instantly i didn't have to worry about like oh he knows all my deep, deep dark secrets when i was a real asshole when i was in my 20s because i wasn't you know i've always tried to be quite um transparent and transparent reasonable and a good person so you know um i think that's that's a good thing to do as well just you know try and be good all the way through your career because then you never know when you're going to circle back with other people no i think i mean even even ignoring necessarily the the ethical side around the whole thing i think the what you're talking about there with the simple payment of a freelancer that sort of thing i think is really valuable because it does it it builds up this bucket of goodwill there's trust you're paying it forward in a lot of different ways and it makes people more inclined to work with you going forward so yeah regardless regardless of what people might then may or may not think about the individual they at least trust that when you when you ask something of them you'll follow through and you'll be able to support them you'll be able to scratch their back while they scratch yours yeah definitely and 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 when you when you are like we were you know a production agency and when you're a person who um is almost like a freelancer you know i just you just treat people like how you want to be treated so yeah. a lot of times i talk to people and say hey i've got 500 dollars. can you do this for me like yeah. rather than going like how much can you do it for you know hoping that say 400 when your budget's five i just say hey i've got 500 can you do it yep great let's go you know i'll pay you 250 now and let, let's go for it um because that's how we like to talk you know when people say yeah. like what's your i always say like what's your budget um you know it's much much easier to be transparent that way so yeah i think those things we've carried i, I learned a lot through running soap and you know we we, got, we ended up getting account managers and you know finance people later on but just learning that how to deal with people from everything from a client account management side of things has definitely helped um us on the on the game side of things because yeah. you have to use all those skills anyway whether you're talking to freelancers or whether you're talking to platforms which are essentially your clients so yes. you're doing the account management there is just just treat them all like you would you know a client for an agency and you learn those skills of you know how to make sure you know again be transparent be upfront um clear communication definitely helps and um you know it saves you a lot of stress in the long run now before we were talking about and kind of cycling back to some of the more current stuff with SMG, uh, I obviously rattled off the laundry list of titles that have been uh, worked on over the, yeah. over the years, uh, and obviously culminating at the moment in moving out. But over the over the duration that SMG has existed, it's slowly built. You've you started with the Sydney studio. You've now added in you added in Melbourne. There's the LA team as well. Um, yeah. In regards to this kind of crazy time that we're in at the moment, and uh, the fact that people are at home and the development process as much as it you know it's 
it's been really polished and it's been re- working really well. There is that challenge now, that's now presented, I guess, by having everyone scattered somewhat. How's that been to overcome over the course of the last few, at this point, weeks, months? Um, but how do you foresee that kind of trending going forward? Yeah, I think we we are in a, a, a fairly serendipitous situation that we aren't in deep production on a lot of things. So yeah. moving out, we're in final polish and fixes. Um, risk, we're in updates and, you know, we're kind of got a good cadence of rolling. No way home, we're in a cadence yeah. of doing updates. So for us, you know, if, if this all happened, um, I'd say last quarter of last year or halfway through last year, it would have been chaos for us because we were a lot more in like, uh, you know, bigger deadlines and bigger um, – chunks of work needing to get yes. done so for us there's been not much disruption at all um and then we've we also work with so many uh uh international clients uh, through soap over the years or you know used to working remotely so you know again i'm working remotely with the melbourne team most of the time so it wasn't a huge um uh shift so for us we're kind of lucky in that sense and we also have yep. a lot of dads we have a lot of dads and we've got like 11 dads and one mum in the studio and they all they all do at least maybe one some of them used to do two days a week working from home so to transition over to working from home it's like oh well, we're just instead of doing one now you're doing five it's probably it's, very quite comfortable feeling for them yeah yeah i mean some of them are like you know hey it's nice to work from home see the kids but then it's like it's good to go to the office to get away from the kids so it's it's like this balance but you know, we were already kind of set up. We didn't have a huge outlay of things to get. I got some new chairs. We got some new monitors for people. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't like a huge um, burden. So, you know, I'm feeling quite blessed in that sense that, you know, we were able to just hit the ground, um, got every, everyone's working from home, okay. And then, the, you know, that was on the Friday. And on Monday, it's like, oh, we're all working from home. Um so- so ignoring, you know, giant pandemics that are sweeping the world at the moment, what about the fact that, so you obviously, yeah, you started with Sydney, Melbourne got added in, there's LA as well. Uh, how, what, what does it look like to kind of manage those three teams that they're not like they're all around the corner from each other, they're scattered across Australia and around the globe? Yeah. How, how's that management process sort of look? How, how do you get that flow and that cadence between all the teams working? Yeah, I mean, the good, the good thing is that Melbourne's pretty much all moving out. So that's, yep. it's self-contained enough that there um you know there's not as much cross-pollination there's a little bit of work being done from the sydney office to help out on occasional things but so that's kind of isolated um la's the most scattered in terms of their helping out with um a little bit on the melbourne uh moving out or sometimes you know they'll be working on risk or um they're working on um no way home and other titles so yeah so they're the ones that get pulled the most um different ways and just just to clarify the reason for the la team was uh in 2008 soap started an la team so we had soap la because we did a lot of marvel kids and nat geo yes. and 20th century fox and part of the team that was there um and then in 2013 when we started smg and also the isobar thing happened um the la team kind of splintered off and became a separate entity um and then by 2018 or 2019 yeah 2019 that team was shutting down and so I asked the the other owner, I was like, well, what's happening to the team? And he's like, oh, well, they're, they're all just going to finish up. And I was like, oh, well, you know, so I actually hired four people from um, my, so my, or what was essentially my old team just to say, hey, I, I don't want to see you guys all disperse around America. Let's join, you know. Let's keep the team together. 
keep the team together and do that. So it wasn't a, a grand global plan to um, to expand another office. It was more finding the right people. For, recruiting yeah. people is really hard. And when there's four people that you all liked working together, that you all know did good work, that you could instantly hire in one hit, was kind of like, oh, it's worth taking the risk. And, you know, there's a financial um, uh, burden to that. But, you know, for, for the greater good, it's like, well, I'd struggle to find two people um, later on of this caliber. And here I've got four. So that was kind of the so plan. Let's, let's retain those people. Yeah. And we're trying to get a game that LA can own themselves. So we're prototyping a few. We've got a few um, irons in the fire there. So the idea oh, being great. that LA would have its own um, game that it would look and manage after by itself with myself and Mark um, and a few others kind of, you know, Sydney kind of helping that out. Melbourne's just cranking along on moving out, which is great. And then Sydney's kind of the weird one where we have risk and legacy titles and no way home and other pitches coming in um, or pitches that we're doing. So we're kind of the, uh, the more scattered ones, you know, we're, we're a different studio in that sense where we just don't have one big game that we all yeah. work on. I think if we were all working on the one project from the three offices, it would be much more chaotic because it's, yeah, understood. Um, you know, you have different um, vibes and different, you know, um, communication channels and stuff. But it is nice having that each office almost, or hopefully each office would have its own games. Um, so, yeah, I think managing it, it's, I mean, the one thing I would say we don't do well is, you know, I get some requests like, oh, I want to know what, the Melbourne office is working on, you know, every, everyone would like to know what everyone else is working on all the time. Yeah. The, okay. Everyone up to date, like I know, I know most things, but even I'm, I'm out of the loop on some, when you try and do that, you spend your entire week just keeping everyone up to date. So it's better just to say, Hey, I'll make sure we're updated, you know, once a month or once a quarter, but you know, just focus on the game you're working on. Cause otherwise it, it just becomes too hard to keep everyone up to date um with what everyone else is working on so um yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah it's i mean it's yeah everyone would love to just like drop in and say oh just show me the you know work in progress but yeah things things happen and change so quickly on projects it's like well we're better off just doing a roundup um so yeah i think that's the way we're kind of managing it now and it wasn't the the global plan and the reason for the melbourne office was the same thing we there were some people we wanted to hire in Melbourne that didn't want to come to Sydney. And so then it's like, well, what are your options? You know, hire someone who's not as good to come to Sydney or can we start up this Melbourne office? So we it went with the pretty easy to justify the Melbourne office. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, It was I, a few months ago that I dropped in um, myself to, to actually go try out uh, moving out at one point there. You helped yeah. uh, stitch it up for me and like, yeah. there just seemed to be this great, collaborative feel amongst everyone that was like they're all sitting together myself and and friend of the show ryan betson we were off doing our own thing there um trying out the the build that was available at the time and and just everyone behind us you could just it was just this really great hive of activity and everyone's just kind of buzzing along and obviously as you're talking about they're all focused on moving out at the time there um but it's just it was a really good feel yeah yeah i think um yeah so the art team comes in wednesday thursday fridays um and then Monday, Tuesdays, when like the devs and the producer and um, are there, so yeah, it's kind of like you have this like hot, from the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is a real hive of um, of work getting done. And it is interesting because the team in Melbourne is a lot. There's people who have had other jobs in the past, and you know, I would say you know, in air quotes, veterans. You know, worked five, six, seven years at other places, and then you've got people who this is their first job. Um, 
And, you know, so there's a real mixture of um, new people and it's a new studio. Whereas then I flipped to Sydney and I've got people I've worked with for 11, 12, I've got multiple people I've worked with for more than 10 years yeah. through the Slope legacy. And uh, and a lot of those people have had other jobs as well. So there's a, there's a different um, different vibe in terms of, you know, this this isn't their first job or that we've had such, we've gone through the battles so many times that everyone has a really good working rapport. Yeah. And sometimes, I, sometimes for me personally, I struggle um, with how I give feedback to the Melbourne team, with how I give feedback to the Sydney team. Because with the Sydney team, they know where I'm coming from and my tone and stuff like that. But in Melbourne, it's like, whoa, whoa, what's what's this? You know, like this guy coming in from from up north yeah, <laughs> talks. It's even like when I'm when I'm trying to you know like I try to add a lot more smileys now because it's like oh no no I was being I wasn't being facetious I was being you know I was being sarcastic or trying to have fun with that yeah. comment. But if you take it the wrong way, it's like, oh, yeah, I could see how that could be taken the wrong way. Whereas in Sydney, we have that rapport that we know. So that's been a learning experience for me, just going from people who have, you know, this is their fourth job and they're, they're over 40 and, you know, they they know how things work. To, you know, Seasoned people, veterans. Yeah, yeah, versus this is people with, when it's their first job and they don't know, uh, you know, sometimes they don't know any better, you know, or they don't – or they think, like, is this normal to – you know, it's like – um, and I mean, normally in a good way, sometimes it's like, we'll do something and it's like, um, you know, they, they, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm set the expectations quite high, but it's like, Hey, this isn't normally how things go. I'm just being generous or, yeah, <laughs> or sure. being quite relaxed. So yeah, it, it is, it is interesting working with different people at different, um, stages of their career. And, and also when they don't see your face as well, like when you're in Sydney, I'm much more, you know, it's much easier to have that conversation yeah. we're using this now with the work from home and then you'd follow up with a you know a slack message or an email to say hey just following up what we spoke about but when it's only delivered through text it's a little bit different oh there's there's so many things like tone that you just can't get oh yeah regardless of how many emojis you might put on the end there's still that that little bit of tone that can be lost in the process yeah definitely and and just ways of working as well i'm much more of a get a piece of paper out let's sketch it or let's let's see it very primordial yeah and let's you know let's have a meeting let's have some ideas and we'll come back in an hour and we'll chat about it. Um, there's others that, you know, like to kind of really flesh things out to see if they'll work. Yeah, and, I understand. You know, like, I'll, I'll see you in three days when I've got some ideas. I'm like, well, I, I want to talk in an hour, <laughs> two hours, you know. Um, and finding the middle ground between those two different approaches can be a challenge, I'm guessing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and just knowing that how people want to work. So you, I know how a lot of people like to work in Sydney and they know how I like to work over time whereas with um, Melbourne we haven't had as much of that time we're, we're getting there now that's why I said we've kind of hit our stride that everyone's kind of more comfortable um, with moving out we're in a great spot now where the game's done so we're doing um, uh, thinking about you know updates and fixes and other modes and stuff and it's much easier coming from a space where there's no time pressure where it's like hey we can explore some things and if they don't work it doesn't matter we can just toss them yeah for sure when we're building the game it's like whoa you know, I can't see I can't see the clear vision of that idea, so it's too risky. So we'll, we won't even do it because I don't want to waste a week going down a pathway and waste a week. So um, we're in we're in a, a good spot now where we can kind of explore and have the freedom to make mistakes. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Now, your role itself, obviously what we've just discussed there is far more kind of top level. There's more of a business component to it. There's there's management and those sorts of things. Do you get many opportunities to dip your toes back into some of that graphical design or some of the coding experiences and those sort of things that you've had over the journey? Do you get many opportunities for that or are you now oh, no, I'd so removed in some, some respects? Very removed from the, the dev side, um, just from... You know my my flash. So for anyone who knows flash, my my flash skills stopped at AS2, but I was a, I'm a wizard at AS2. Like I'll wipe the floor with anyone. <laughs> with anyone, bring with it. And an AS2. As soon as you get the classes and stuff, like no, I, like I don't even know how to do a class. Yeah. Uh, okay. But AS2, I could you know whip something together super quick. So when we do the, I've done a whole bunch of the game jams. You know, I will smash out my game in 30 hours, and I'm like, oh, I'm going. I've got 18 hours to spare. Um, and other, I remember doing one with, um, I forget his name, Shannon, and he was like looking at my code going, your code makes no sense. Like, how is it all in the one frame? Like, it's a mess, but it just worked, you know. Don't uh, ask questions, it just works, all right? My, my graphic design skills are more on the um, scrapping together something for social. So I run the social media channels. Yes. Like, do a virtue of like, um, A, I'm a bit of a control freak on that, but also um, when it comes, it comes down to, you know, allocation of budgets like i'd rather get someone doing games than just um doing the social media stuff so um i'll be doing that so i'll, I'll whip together you know all this the social media bits and pieces or i'll do some screenshots and um store assets and stuff yeah so i know enough i know enough to be dangerous on that um and it makes it easier for me when i'm trying to give feedback on certain things i can just open up photoshop and uh whip whip something together um you know or photoshop it how i how i want it you know, as a, as a rough uh, guideline. Yeah. So there's that. Um, wh- where I have the most fun is just on, like, the kind of game design bits. So, like, for No Way Home, myself and Pat were, you know, kind of leading the pitch on that. Um, or myself and Mark, um, who's, like, my 2IC, um, who was the Flash, Flash Kit founder. Um, you know, we'll work together bouncing off ideas on the game design. Um, so that's that's where I think I had a lot of value on, on that stuff. Um, but we've got a Could pretty... Be pretty good team whereas our you know, even our producers like james and lee um and johan actually got really good game design kind of thought processes so yeah but i'm, I'm bouncing between all different i mean I'm, I'm ordering the coles orders i'm doing you know revenue forecasts for the higher ups i'm doing yeah I um, with you. you know i'm filling out forms for this you know so i'm all over the shop but my thing is just you know i'm trying to do as much as i can to kind of free up the team to do their best job um no, you know awesome. i'd lo- love to have someone full-time on or have a little mini social team that i could just run but right now it's like i'd rather have a you know more um uh a bigger team just doing the dev or, or qa you know so um yeah so i think i get my, my hands most dirty in maybe the, the game design or I, I do a lot of that in the pitches um and then a lot of the time it's also just seeing how things snap together so we'll have like a game jam or you know like a, a game idea you know everyone's pitches pitching stuff in and i and i kind of use that as more of an improv thing where I, you know the kind of yes and so when i see a game idea it's like yes and what if we did this you know and um kind of steering you know which which game ideas we want to prototype up and stuff so yeah that's where I'm probably the most uh, getting my hands dirty if you will yeah, understood. Now, one of the things you did mention amongst all that was the social media side of it. And that's one of the things that I've I've really... So the, the way you use specifically the Twitter account, in my experiences, uh, when, uh, when it comes to some of the sharing of data and 
Uh, I feel like you're very you're very open and transparent, and again, we spoke about those aspects before um, with much of the, at least some of the, well, not much, maybe I'm getting a little bit too ahead of myself here, but certainly a component of the the sales side of things, the financial side of things, and that sort of insight, personally, as someone who you know really tries to immerse myself in that side of it is incredibly incredibly interesting and I, I really look forward to when I see all of a sudden oh great Ash has posted a whole bunch of graphs and bits yeah. and pieces that kind of show charts and you know here's what happens when this sale comes along and all that sort of stuff yeah. I find that really really fascinating yeah I, I mean uh, so so do I and that's why I share it and I've kind of I come to the I came to the conclusion of like if I just use this SMG Twitter account as my own personal one I get more engagement so then because I you know there's there's something sad when you post something on your own twitter and you get no no responses then you're just yeah. like well i'll just treat it like my own so i've kind of abandoned my own personal one and just use the smg one um and I, then i just try and think how i can have a game design or a game studio um uh, twist to it you know yeah. so um and also never let the truth get in the way of a good tweet sometimes as well so sometimes i'll get <laughs> truth or i'll, I'll change the a little bit yeah i'll embellish just to add a extra um you know how do i add an smg spin onto this um that you know will make, will validate the reason why smg is doing it i've gotten trouble in the past for doing that as well um so i've kind of toned it back a bit um but the sharing of the data is just i love seeing that from other people and i find it thrilling from a um from a business point of view is like oh how did that work or how do things work because there's not as much data sharing as i think there should be especially around the Rung the indies um yep. i also used to share data privately with a, a bunch of other indies and i got in trouble for that when, when one of the platforms oh, okay. found out so you know i've had to um tone back some of my um sharing because if you share too much then you know other people are like oh we're going to get found out because you're not not allowed to share all your data um steam's opened up their ndas now so you can share it a bit easier but the other platforms uh, not so much yeah the other platforms still still quite uh, try to keep it confidential and and for various reasons but um so we share a lot of data you know on the side and a lot of that's just like you don't know you where you're sitting so if i say hey i had great success on this sale and you share it with someone they're like oh no that's like nothing true and then share their data and you're like oh okay wow you know the 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 opportunity to go much higher is there um or, or lower you know so you don't know yeah. just having benchmarks is great we and then a lot of the times it's, you know, divide and conquer, right? Like when you're talking to platforms for certain deals or publishers and you're, you think you've got a good deal and talk to other people and they say, wow, that that's a great deal. And you're like, wow, that's good, good to know. <laughs> uh, and, and vice versa. So, um, and I find that when we've, we've made, we've made offers or deals with certain people um, to do certain things. And, and in my head, I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this person a great deal because I like them. You know, I'm going to go over the top and over over deliver with them, and then you give them the you know you send them the offer and they're like, uh, yeah, I don't know, and you're like, what are you doing? This is like <laughs> three times better than anyone else, and it's because they don't know, you know. Um, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know, and a lot of people think that a lot of people operate from a you know, you know like a very strict negotiation. Okay, obviously give the worst offer at the start and then leave room for negotiation. And I've, I've probably done the bad thing sometimes where I've just gone, like, I'm just going to give you my best offer now because I think it's great. And so we can just move forward and, you know, not tit for tat. And, you know, you give someone a great offer and they're like, oh, I don't know, they want a bit more. And you're like, oh, I'm already, like, way better than that. Yeah. Um, so I'm still learning in that sense. Um, you know, and sometimes that's been at the detriment. You know, we've 
we've missed out on things um, because we've been too generous. In, I know it sounds really weird, or you know, or sometimes you just get frustrated with a person because they they lack that extra knowledge. So, yep. uh, you know, the more educated everyone is, whether it's a small, you know, solo indie, solo developer, or solo artist to um, you know, a bigger company. I think a bigger company has more context, but though, so that kind of sharing of knowledge helps people like understand, like, oh, okay, that's good. Or you know, we've offered help to some some indies, and they're like, no, no, no I'm doing pretty good. You know, you know, but pretty good for them might be they're making a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, hey, I'm making a thousand dollars a month. I live in um, you know, a country where a thousand dollars US. So, so that's really good. And you're just thinking you could be making ten, twenty, fifty thousand dollars a month. Um, but they don't know that, you know. Um, so yeah, I think knowledge is really good to share, and and it's it's a value exchange, right? Like if you share knowledge, hopefully you get knowledge back, and you know if you, if all you expect is other people to share with you, then it's not going to work. So definitely feel like a you know a knowledge exchange is a or yeah, there should be a value exchange with that knowledge, you know. Yeah, I think it cycles back again to the whole paying it forward thing, and I mean you, you mentioned before, there's a, you know it sounds like there's a few few missed opportunities that have cropped up along the way, but I think at the end of the day you could hold your head up high that you're being transparent with people that you're being honest with people that there's no there's no bullshit along the way i guess for want of a better phrase yeah um, oh it's, it's it's so much easier to not bullshit people yeah um because you'll end up like it just gets you out but as soon as you start bullshitting people it gets you caught up in so many twists and knots but as soon as you don't do that like we've, we've spoken to some people and then like you know, and I say, hey, um, here's an offer. And they're like, oh, we're talking to, you know, blah, 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 publisher. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you're talking to them, go with them. They're awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't even talk to us. Just let me let me help you get the great deal with Be the them. Um, because it's like, it's just so much easier than you're trying to like um, bullshit people or, you know, pretend otherwise. So, because um, there's so many other opportunities and it's so much, e- you know, like I said, people move around over time and, you know, if you can help someone out um, two thousand in year two thousand and five, maybe they, they you'll meet them again in two thousand and twenty. You know, you never know. So yeah, um, for sure. So you obviously mentioned, like we've obviously discussed the social media use in that regard. But one of the other things that you've, is, again, this links back to our whole transparency thing. You've also spoken quite a lot about okay, um, Game X. Let's say it's Death Squared for the sake of the example. Uh, Death Squared's yeah. going to be on sale on the Switch in three or four days. Um, that's another one of those things now it's not directly affected me because I've, maybe I've previously bought the game or maybe I received a code to review or wh- whatever the scenario might have been but I, yeah. I think that's another one of those just really wonderful paying it forward sort of moments where you're you're giving the, the consumer this little bit of extra knowledge and you know that alleviates that whole oh, but I just I just bought it and you've gone on sale the next day that sort of yeah. feeling that that you often hear that people even complain about when they get their free PlayStation Plus or Xbox, uh, you know, games with gold titles. Those sorts of complaints that you do hear sometimes. And look, it's it's a bit yeah. of bad luck, but I yeah. I, th- I think for the most part, people would really appreciate that sort of transparency that you're offering in that regard as well. Yeah, definitely, and and that's a two pronged attack because one in one way it's it's um, it definitely helps out that kind of issue of hey, I just bought it, damn. And the other one is like talking about a sale is like oh who cares so but doing that it gives us an extra thing to talk about like we post that on reddit and um people like oh this is just a marketing plan and i'm like yeah it is you know it's a marketing plan but it also it's to help out you know um 
again being trans fully transparent it's like yeah we're doing this because we think it's a smarter play but also i think other studios should do it as well um the funny thing is you announce a, a sale three days before and then like and you still get people going like oh but i just bought it one day before uh, that yeah <laughs> and, and that's like, that's un- the unfortunate reality it can't be helped oh, but yeah, yeah. Um, you can do as much as you possibly can do yeah and and we've had you know like if people want refunds on certain games we'll just refund it it's just you try and um i think that you know that whole thing about building your um reputation like we haven't had such a huge success game where we can just ride on that you know um so we've you know built up our studio's reputation through uh, a thousand little steps of you know just trying to be good and um th- you know that's a really easy one um I'm, I'm i'm still surprised most studios don't do it like why why keep it a secret um a couple of times i've forgotten to do that where it's like i've scheduled the sale like way in advance in like a month and two and i was like yeah. okay I put it in my calendar to remember and then i don't check my you know, forget i forget to update it so no, you know, human error is the thing though that's fine i don't have a perfect record on that but still um still trying to make it happen and 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 the the thing is like if we did it the first time and we didn't get any response i probably would have given up on it yeah potentially but we got a, such a good response of like oh we got to keep doing this you know like um people responded to it well it got um and people were thankful for it so i'm like okay you know we should be doing this and then encourage other studios to do it as well um i mean like car you know they do it for cars you know end of financial year sale like people know things are coming yeah. up so predictable um so why not just do it for games um trying to think what else like yeah i think that's that's been a that's been a fun one especially i think the the most fun i've had is those how can i do a marketing ploy slash strategy slash tactics a better word what marketing tactic can i do that's going to get people talking um i love the challenge of reddit in that way it's like how can i do something where i want to talk about my game in in an interesting way where people can be like wow that's a really smart tactic um versus yeah. just like hey buy our game and people are like get get f you know fuck off you know, it's boring so i'm you know i want to think of new ways of marketing the game um and a lot of that times i'm also like how can i do that without spending any money as well so um or minimal money so i try to do you know the marketing tactics and and also when i see other people do smart ways of t- tactics like, you know i screenshot or i take note yeah and sure I add, I add it to my little um you know bag of tricks and stuff but yeah, it's definitely that's the fun part, right? Because once you've done a game, and you know, there's game design. Um, I think for the teams, like they can point to a game, the game, and say, "Hey, that level," or "That's my game," and you know, "Wow, it's really good game design and stuff." So for me, I have to get out my um, most of my enjoyment from like, "Oh, that was a really cool marketing tactic," you know, or "That was kind of fun." Yeah. So, um, and I see that a lot now. I think like uh, Kit Fox, um, Raw Fury devolver definitely um no more robots and stuff they have all these they've, they've done a lot more pushing like kind of interesting marketing tactics and i'm always like oh yeah nice you know like little take inspiration yeah take inspiration little clap like are oh, you you know everyone's just trying to raise the bar in terms of how uh, how to do things in an interesting way you know and it's not always like the the big you know the big spend um it's always in like oh that's, that was a really smart tactic i love that or they'll take something topical and then twist it for their game and you're like oh that's genius you know so i wish i i think a lot of the times like i wish i had thought of that is the kind of benchmark that i try to aspire to and you know i look at other other studios and i retweet it or i'll like it and comment on it like from a oh, yeah i wish i had done that and that's kind of my um marketing uh strategy i guess 
Yeah, I mean, it seems to be a very effective one for the most part. So it seems like you're building a, a nice trickle, whether it's yeah via the via what you just discussed there or whether we're talking about just posting those sales before they arrive. I assume it's generating a nice uh, passive income of sorts as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, the good thing is when you do a marketing tactic and it fails, no one sees it. So you can just delete it <laughs> and pretend it never happened. Well, there's that so- too, yeah. So it's always like, oh, think of the greatest hits, and there's been a lot of uh, a lot of uh, fails. Um, uh, this, you know, the hit, hit ratio. As long as you can get, you know, one out of four does well. You know, that's good. And then the other ones, you just pretend never happened. Now, moving on to moving out, which as of when this podcast goes live, the game is out. Uh, which yep. I assume very exciting for everyone involved, including yourself. Uh, yep. But the the origins behind that whole project. Now, I distinctly remember it was PAX what what year, was it 20 was it 2018 that you ended up debuting it in the end via no. the kind of funny games showcase oh yeah yeah so that was in yeah November December end of tw- yeah yeah end of 2018 um, I, remember, I remember going to PAX Australia and um, you know kind of commenting with a few few other people there you know oh you know SMG and you know Death Squared and all those sorts of things there and I ended up there was a little rumbling that eventually made its way into my ear that you were close to debuting something in the end that I that I was going to be hearing about it from the the KFG showcase, um, yeah. and that it was kind of I, the the instant comparison that people had made to me was um, that they didn't go into more detail, but think Overcooked basically was was kind yeah. of the the initial th- seed in my head, which I thought with with the personality that you guys have brought to your previous titles, I thought that bode very very well, and having had uh, hands on with the game several times now via the the opportunity at the studio or the demo that was uh, made available etc etc um i feel like i feel like this project is shaping up really really well keep in mind sorry for listeners we are in a vacuum here we are recording this before it goes live uh before the game comes out but everything seems to be shaping up really well how are you how are you feeling about the project at this point everything everything's kind of coming to place nicely yeah uh, we're i think we're getting more and more excited as it's coming along i you know when we were we were so deep down in it um, last year that it's kind of hard to see the forest for the trees sometimes. And now we've, you know, and I think I'm in a different position where I've been to um, PAX East and I've been to PAX West and showing the game. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of people having a great time. I felt really bad to the team in Melbourne. They weren't able to see that firsthand. So yeah. I don't, I'd come back from a PAX East or a PAX West and I'd be fully charged, like, oh, my God, you know, people are loving it. Um, it's great and everyone else is just busy working on it like oh yeah okay you know um, you know you can only convey maybe 10% of the uh, kind of electricity that you get from a from a trade show like that so um, but now more and more people are talking about it they've seen previews and stuff and I think the team's starting to understand like yeah we've made something pretty special and people are really enjoying it and they're getting all the little jokes they're getting the uh, you know the art team's happy they people are responding to little um uh, environmental storytelling pieces and stuff. So, you know, even the stuff that was kind of like just put in there for, you know, very small, minute detail people are spotting. So I think everyone's getting pretty excited by that. And, and it's funny you mentioned Overcooked because when the game was first shown to me from Yon, so Yon from DevM, he had the initial prototype. We'd actually done Flash games. With, uh, Yon had done Flash games for us for um, for Soap back in the day and I'd stayed yeah. in touch with him. Um, when he showed it to me, I hadn't played Overcooked before. He hadn't played Overcooked before. Obviously, we'd heard of the game and we'd seen footage and stuff, but we both hadn't played the game before. And I was, you know, I'm playing it. It's like, oh, this is really cool. Um, it was only after we'd kind of like 
got further along the project, it's like, oh, I really should play Overcooked properly or play it rather than just watch a couple of videos to know that um, what makes that good and what makes it bad and how do we make it different. So it was, it's kind of funny, like we, you know, obviously we'd been aware of it, but it wasn't, didn't start that way. Um, and yeah, it plays, sure. very, plays very differently. Um, Ghost Town Games and Team 17 that did Overcooked and Overcooked 2. Um, I think one thing we took away from them um, was their design level design approach. Um, Ghost Town had a really awesome, um, I think it's Indie, Indie Graph uh, forum. They had a post like showing how they designed the levels and just the different flows and stuff. So yeah. inspiration from their approach for that, um, which was really good set there seeing their thought process. And yeah, luckily our games are very different in how they play and stuff. Just, you know, I think anything cooperative um, kind of can get com- in that kind of a perspective can get um, compared to it. But um, yeah, I think we're, we're happy that the response when people see it, they're like, Oh yeah, this, this isn't like overcooked, you know, and I don't think team 17 would have come on board if it was just overcooked with a different skin. Yeah. I'm sure they wouldn't have bitten with a clone of sorts. Yeah. They wouldn't want to do a clone. It's a different type of game. But, you know, the audience and the kind of, you know, people that like fun games, people like working together, you'll both, you'll enjoy this game. You know, it's not like it's the same game. Um, so and it's almost as though it's coming out at the perfect time too when people are trapped at home on the couch. This is a golden opportunity for people to sit on the couch with their family members and play yeah. a crazy uh, co-op um, yeah. we like to use family word- divider in some ways. <laughs> yeah, we've been really, and I've been really... Um, the more I've spoken about the game, I, I use chaotic um, couch co-op instead of crazy. Um, just the word crazy and stuff has a lot of, you know, negative connotations. Um, but yeah, we're also seeing a lot more Twitter. Um, uh, you know, I have a I have a Twitter search set to like co-op game, and you know, I, I I just watch that to see if there's any opportunities to like, hey, play our game. You know, like jump into the conversation like out of nowhere trying to sell people our game. Um, but I've seen a lot more. Like maybe it was like one in fifty before 50 tweets would say hey i'm looking for a co-op game to play with my family and since the whole lockdown it's it's probably come a, a one in ten you know oh, okay, okay good opportunity bigger, then yeah much bigger um influx of people like hey what are some games i can play with my whole family um you know because i've got kids and i've got my my partner and you know we all play different types of games um and so i've seen that that come up so yeah i feel like we're in a good time for it um there's still people that are you know living solo that like oh i can't play online because we don't have online but yeah we direct them to steam remote play any uh play together or parsec which is good but there's definitely a lot more people that are like we want to play all together as a family unit what games are there and to be honest there's a parent who has a you know a wife that loves gaming but also younger kids there's very few games you can all play together Um, these days you're 100 percent right yeah yeah, even even like you've got your Mario Kart, but that's very combative. Like someone's going to lose and someone's going to win. And when you've got a five-year-old, sorry, I've got I've got a three and a seven, you know, and the three-year-old loses, it's like it's like devastating. It's like oh, um, it's yeah, very Mar- quick for them to spit the dummy and move on at that point. Oh. But if you're working in, together and you're driving towards a goal, definitely, yeah, because like very doesn't want me wiping the floor with him every time. So basically, I just put it on auto steer and just steer with my with my with my knees. Yeah, uh, balance out the uh, the difficulty. Um, but Mario Party's good because you play together, but there's still still an element of you know win and loss. But yeah, I think games where you work together, um, there's very few of those. And games that you can play as a family, um, you know, it, it's already a subset of a subset. So I'm hoping that you know there's a lot more um, 
we're, it's a better time for that type of game. And I'd like to see more of them anyway. Just As a general rule, you're 100% what, right, yeah. What, what games are good for a kid under 10? Like, out, you know, there's Roblox and there's Minecraft, but, man, there's very, very few games that are tuned that way. Even the Lego games, you know, I play a lot of those, but some of the um, platforming and that's very advanced. Yeah. A lot of shooting and fighting, like, there's, you know, it's probably 50, 60% punching and shooting people, um, which is fine because it's kind of comical but like that's doesn't that's, have to be that though doesn't yeah it doesn't have to be that so so i like mo- like this um again as a mobile develop game developer as well like there's a lot of fun games on mobile like my kids like playing the one where you're just chopping vegetables and yep. it's one of the hyper casual games but they they had a ball playing that and then and on apple arcade they played uh cricket through the ages that's and, that's good stupid oh, fun i love that one the kid they just went the kids didn't get half the jokes didn't matter they were just having a having a ball playing that and so a lot more games like that um they played uh what the golf as well yeah um, that's a little bit more advanced um but yeah just more games like that so you, you get a lot more of those on mobile because the stakes are, are lower yeah um, and you can have that but yeah you'd be so yeah you'd be surprised when you look at a console or even um, Steam, like how many games are for kids? Like very few. Um, and then how many games could have a kid playing with the grandma or on the parents, uh, grandma, grandpa? Um, <laughs> it's almost nothing, you know. So what was it like presenting the game to Greg, Tim and co when you were looking, uh, when, you know, everything's building towards this, what ultimately became the debut uh, via, via the fun, kind of funny game showcase? How, what was that process like kind of reaching out to them and, and having a chat about moving out at the time? Yeah, uh, the kind of funny team, like, I think they're one of the nicest, <laughs> they're, they're like the nicest people in the industry. Like, um, we met, I met Greg when we we're showing, um, or met the team when we we're showing Desk Squared. Yeah, uh, at RTX, right? Uh, at RTX, but even yeah. before that, we had um, Stride got us, like, we went over to their studio, and I kind of sat in the middle while they played uh, Desk Squared. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think I said about three words, because, you know, their personalities are, you know... Big very big and they had, they had a great time and then i met him at rtx and greg was like hey ash i was like man how did he get any you know i had one of those like celebrity moments like oh my god how did greg remember my name um just, just really nice people and so when they put the call out hey we're doing the kind of funny showcase you know i sent them a i think i had a video at that time we were, we were pretty far along we had like a video kind of trailerish um thing and i sent them um we actually made a mock-up of the kind of funny team dressed as um, as movers, like <laughs> little avatars, and you know I sent that to Greg you know, to, to his email, and then I think I got a response back really quickly, and he's like, "Fucking yeah, is this going to be world exclusive?" And I'm like, "Yep," and he's like, "Oh shit," you know, like it, this is excitement back. That sounds um, like Greg to a T. Yeah, yeah, and it's weird just having you know, I think when when you're excited by something and then someone kind of multiplies that excitement back it's such a good feeling so then he was like oh my god this is great you know um and you know it's it's world exclusive and i'm like yep he's like oh let's do it you know um so that i feel like it was pretty easy we kind of already had that in there because it already knew us but um but we did i did you know kind of uh sweeten the deal by having that personalized image in there as well so that was kind of the uh account management side like get their attention with you know here's a customized image just for you guys they, uh, they do love that stuff yeah and but I think, you know, Greg and that kind of funny team, uh, and even that that showcase was great. And just in terms of like the variety of games that they showed, um, they really are excited by interesting games. So yeah, um, 
And I think that was a really good moment. And that showcase was what got us the introduction with Team 17. Oh, um, fantastic. At that point, we were going to self-publish because it was like, you know, don't look, we don't need a publisher for, from a money side. I think I've learned enough from the <laughs> I learned enough from the Deskware side, like, okay, I can do a bit more. Um, and then when we had that showcase, we had a few publishers reach out. But when uh, Team 17 reached out, um, it was actually Debbie, the the uh, one of the founders, she reached out and was like, oh, okay, this, and, you know, kind of saw the lights, like, you know what, I'd rather this be a really big thing and be managed longer term than just doing it all ourselves and so yep. take um, some of the yeah. weight off your shoulders as well i guess oh yeah yeah like if 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 it wasn't a team 17 2020 i'd i'd be a frazzled mess right now because yeah doing so much i'd probably have to hire three four more people just to manage all the different logistics and someone uh, finally take the social off your hands oh yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah so it's kind of yeah it's it's been a you know a big big weight off my shoulders so part of the you know, reason for going Team 17 was also a personal one. It's like, oh, look, I don't want to get to a point where I'm completely, oops, sorry, where I completely frazzled myself out um, yeah. releasing this game. Um, and also if we wanted to do more platforms and make it bigger. But um, yeah, so I have the kind of funny game showcase to kind of thank for that moment, you know, got, got us that enough, that initial big burst of like awareness um, at the same tier with all these other great games that, you know, um, set us off on a you know, on a new trajectory, you know. So, yeah. But the, they're such a a nice team. It's 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 just refreshing, you know. Like, I think just the way they approach things and just their energy is 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 great. Yeah, and I mean, me sitting back watching the showcase on the day and knowing that something of yours was going to be there, but not really knowing what that was that was a great little moment for me like oh there it is great you know the smg and then actually sitting there and actually engrossing my, myself in it afterwards it was it was a it was a nice little thrill for me personally on yeah on the side and there too the the good thing about the kind of funny um audience is because their energy is so positive and over the top you know and just the, they're just so passionate that they're fans of that as well um yeah. you know you've got other other people that have probably bigger fan bases but there's there's a toxic element to them and there's a cynical element you know or they're very tuned to like one type of game whereas yeah it kind of funny has you know it's very like broad very broad but you know a positive vibe to it and you know even if they don't like it their, their, their first response is like oh i don't like that it's just like just talk about the things you do like you yeah. know um, they're respectful respectful yeah and they're a bit seem a bit older as well so it's not you know it's not just under 10 year olds and stuff like that so yeah i think it's uh it was a really about how it's not Fortnite. yeah uh, so it was a a really nice debut in that sense um having that as our our coming out moment for the for the game so uh, it was also good for the team because i think we're initially going to announce a bit earlier but we delayed for the kind of funny showcase so again takes the time pressure off Uh, yeah that's awesome to do that and then um we also i mean we were initially going to launch like august last year um when we came on with um team 17 they're like oh no you want to push it back you want to spend more time polishing uh more time in console uh certification so we kind of gave everyone you know gave everyone a a more uh a longer timeline and then we're actually going to launch in march um this year but then Animal Crossing moved back, and then it was like, all right, we're going to avoid Animal Crossing. Clear out, clear out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've adapt- we adapted our, um, our release date a few times to to push it back to be more um, 
to, to avoid other, you know, other issues. And it ended up just giving us more time. So, you know, development of the game itself has actually been pretty good. And that's why, you know, we also smashed all the console certifications. Um, we, we passed everyone first time. So, yeah, which is a nice luxury. Yeah. So we have, we had not only the initial um, submission, but the demo submission, then the update submission. So we've done 10 out of 10 first go. So we'd already factored in a buffer time of failing a few of those. Um, and so, like, yeah, we've gone, we, we, we're so far ahead. We were so far ahead of schedule. It was actually really um, nice to be in that position. Whereas with desk squared, I submitted that, um, you know, a week and a half <laughs> before launch, you know, like it was down to the wire on that one. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a nice luxury to have. Um, so the, the assist mode is one of the things I did want to discuss a little bit there as well. Um, and I mentioned, yeah, Ryan, friend of the show, I, I think you've had a few chats with him previously. He works at, uh, a business in Australia called, uh, Gen U. They, they work with, uh, a whole host of different people from different backgrounds, but, uh, certainly kind of connecting people socially is one of their, one of their big aspects. And he's, he's had a few chats with me over the journey about what any, an amazing influence something like death squared was for him and his his community the people that he the people he's working with in that space and um the assist mode obviously in a slightly different way with um with moving out looks to be kind of ticking many of the same boxes um what was what was kind of the idea as the assist mode was being developed in the first place what what were you looking to achieve out of that in the first place yeah it was kind of a twofold um approach like the, the 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 second fold like not the primary goal was like well we were having a lot of um playtest sessions we did about 140 150 recorded playtest sessions yeah and that was people coming into the office with a webcam recording sessions and we're watching people play and we're having that debate of like do we tune the game to be easier or do we tune the game to be more of a challenge and those discussions you know there's no there's no right or wrong a lot of game design there's no right or wrong so it was like well, what do we do it's like well how about we tune the game to have a challenge but you know obviously it won't be hardcore and then for the people that would struggle with some of these elements whether it's through uh, ability or skills or cognitive yeah. um anything we can just add an assist mode and they have that in nintendo games a lot so i'm playing um i was playing uh what's it called uh woolies or what is it Something oh yoshi's woolly Wooly world Yoshi's Woolly World or Crafted World, and they they have that um, you know ability. And same with um, I think it's even in um, Super Mario Galaxy or what is it Odyssey. And so I was like, well, why don't? Obviously, it works for Nintendo, so let, let's explore that. And so that was our get out of jail free card. Where it's like, well, if this if this level is too hard, people can just put on assist mode. Yeah. And then we looked at as we're doing the um, accessibility kind of run through with a designer in Melbourne uh, called Dan. Uh, can, oh, I can't even say his last name. Can Can or Oh, Camilleri, Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, so he was he was pushing you know really hard on the accessibility, um, you know, for visuals and you know the kind of UX. And then when we went through this, there's a website that kind of showcases all the different things to make things accessible. And like I, for me, it was always been like, okay, yeah, obviously colorblind and readability and font size. But then they're also talking about you know, hey, what about people that can't press a button a lot to like you know you know in got a war where you got to smash the button to open smash up a, the button yeah yeah to open up a door and it's like some people can't do that and you're like oh yeah and and so there was like this whole next level of accessibility where it's like people just don't have the physical ability or sometimes the cognitive ability and we look through that and we're like 
oh, okay, well, if we turn off a few of the elements in our game, we can make it easier for them, and it's not going to make the game any less enjoyable. So why don't we add that? And then that got around a lot of the um, discussions in terms of how, do, how hard do we tune the game or how easy do you tune it? Um, because we can tune it um, however we want, and then we can add the uh, assist mode to kind of let people um, choose, opt in how they want that. So, so that was a you know that that was this uh, that kind of second prong where it was like get out of jail free card on on the design. And the first one, you know, is obviously just how do we make the game not so hard that kids can it's play accessible it. for them as well. Yeah, um, people with less ability, whether they're physical or cognitive, and then people who you know like your older gamers that maybe aren't that. Um, don't have that much great reflexes so it's like wow this is gonna it was almost like it's gonna solve so many problems by just having this why don't more games have it yeah um rather than just being a generic easy medium hard um because what 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 defines easy medium and hard right um so that's why we that's all a matter of perspective yes that's why we had the multiple uh different things you could toggle off whether it's more time or take away some of the dangers um give you the ability to uh not have to worry about stacking the truck because we have this kind of almost a meta game where you get everything in the truck and there's a bit of a, a shuffle or tetrising of getting things in there. And for a smaller kid that, you know, that's, or someone with less cognitive ability, that's much harder to understand. Oh, for and sure. That, and that was definitely a friction point for some people. So I was like, you know, what? we tick a box, we get rid of, we, we get rid of that friction point. Um, and the good, and by a byproduct of this, like we've had a lot of great discussions and we've seen a lot of people respond really positively to it. And yeah. it's like, you know, like that wasn't our first thought, but it's like, oh, I'm so glad we did this, and like I feel like more games should have this. No, I 100% agree with you. And and so hopefully, you know, we're um, we'd probably add it to more games in the future where it's like, it's not, and it, it's not all about making the the hardest game. We had this with OTT TD, um, which is Pat's, you know, our first game and Pat's kind of game. It's like, it's really hard to finish, you know, and we're talking about like, you know, maybe one percent of people finish it. And it's like, do is that what we want to aim for? And he loves Dark Souls and Demon Souls and all that. <laughs> Games and, that hate you. Yeah, and it's like, you know, and I see the debates on that. It's like, I would love to play Neo and Dark Souls and stuff, but they're too hard for me and I don't have the time. Like, no, I, I, I don't feel they respect my time. In fact, I'm going to have to replay them over and over again. Um, and so it's just like, it just turns me off. You know, I remember getting excited by playing Below and yeah. then I, you know, I... I I played that at launch on Game Game Pass, and I climbed up, and I went down the mountain, and I lit the fire, and I and then I died, and I was like, "All right, I'm going to go back to that fire," and it put me back to the beach, and I'm like, "No, I'm out." I just turned yeah, it off. Yeah, I understand. It's a bit too and, brutal. And I turned it off, and I was like, "You know what? They're going to." And then I turned it back on. I was like, "It must be like a mode where I make it easy." And I was like, "No." Nah. And now they've just launched the um, explore mode. Yep. Um, now, like a year and a half or something later, I'm like, "Yes, I'm going to go back into it." Because oh, yes, you are going to go back. Good. Yeah, that's what I, I, I wanted. I was so excited to play the game. I remember playing it at PAX, and I was like, I started playing for a couple of minutes. This is before I got down and died. And I, t- I took it off and I went, you know what? I don't want to play this at PAX. This is something I want to like delve into at home. And, at really home, yeah. and then, the, you know, it was just too hard. So, you know, I think more people are realizing like it's not, you don't have to have these hardcore um, games that really challenge you. And, you know, it's all about getting good and stuff like that. It's just like people just want to have fun, you know? Um, and so, you know, we're definitely trying to be tune the games to allow that. And you can either tuning a game to make it that balance is a lot harder than just adding an adding options to let people just customize the difficulty to how they want. You know, if someone wants to just put God mode on, you know, and and fly through the game, like let them, you know, 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as we start to wind things down a little bit, we better just quickly address the game itself. Uh, it's available now. What platforms can people pick it up on? Yeah, you can get it on uh, Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, and Steam. And Fantastic. On, and on the consoles, you can get uh, physical editions on all of those through uh, Sold Out slash Five Star. That is awesome. I also hear that whilst you might have delayed the game a little bit for Animal Crossing, uh, Sony also delayed The Last of Us and Iron Man to get away from moving out. So oh. just just a little thing I heard down the down the pipeline there. So a little bit of tribute <laughs> for you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it was also Cyberpunk. They flinched first yeah, as well. that's true as well. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys are one of the big heavy hitters now. Yeah, uh, yeah. it does feel weird. I think um, we're probably going to see more delays, but... You know, I'd love a window of time where there's just nothing else out. <laughs> that we can actually go through our backlogs and actually clear that up a little bit. That'd be fantastic. No, just buy our game and then that's all. <laughs> and just binge on it for months and months. Yeah, that, yeah. That's also a very good option. Yeah. Um, so as we start to wind things down, um, cycling back to you a little bit more as the individual rather than SMG or the titles that, you, that you're working on, um, is there anyone out there in this industry that really inspires you in particular? Oh, in, in the, who is in the industry that inspires me? Yeah, is there anyone you really look up to at all and try and model maybe the way you, you manage the team or even some of the projects that you've worked on? Is there anyone out there that really you look up to in that respect? I think Morgan Jaffet um, oh, yeah. from Define. I think he was one of the first ones I really kind of connected with in terms of like, oh, this is, you know, I kind of call him like the, not the grandfather, but like, wow, this is someone who's operating how I want to operate. And I aspire to that, whereas sharing, um, you know, the mature voice in the industry. Um, so, yeah, he's, it's definitely been good connecting with him and having that kind of a stalwart voice, you know, in the industry. Um, and, and, and also just knowing that there's people out there that have that kind of level of maturity and business savvy. Yeah. Um, and, but, but it's still very approachable, you know. So I think um, himself and then um, – Tim Schafer, just from oh, yeah, a, of course. Um, multi, you know, just, just the way he kind of, you know, carries himself. And I think when he sold to Microsoft, just how he, you know, announced that was just like, yes, that's kind of a, a, a breath of fresh air, you know, being that honest and being uh, confident, but not cocky, just, you know, like, yeah. So I think that. Yeah, had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And then I met him at um, a PAX Intel thing at one point. He's actually a really nice person to talk to. You know, oh, so I think that's, uh, you know, they say never meet your, uh, your heroes and stuff, but, you know, that's only because most of them are assholes. But there's people like Tim and, you know, Morgan, they're actually really nice. You know, They're those outliers that are 100% worth meeting. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think the, those two um, definitely, I think. And then, you know, I connected with a whole bunch of others, but I think they're the ones that I kind of still look up to and, you know, yeah. aspire to and, and, and like having those um more top level conversations with as well. I mean, so having to, haven't chatted to Tim much at all, but um, you know, and it was also nice to meet Greg Rice, who was kind of Tim Schafer's two IC yep. double fine, and he's another person like he kind of really um, got us uh, moving out into the day of devs and just how he, you know, and he, you know, he's just a really nice person to chat to and kind of chase us down again, like, hey, I want your day of devs, you know. Um, I think it's, it's it's Greg and Greg Rice and then Greg uh, kind of funny. It's it's kind of you know, something two, in the name. Yeah, they again the way they operate. It's just like wow, you know, this is refreshing. You know, these are people that you know. If if he rang me up and said, "Hey, you gonna help, help me move?" I'd be like, "Yep, I'll be there." You know, um, like, hey, so, I created a game for this. I've got plenty of experience. Yeah, yeah, Let's go. 
I'm, I'm an expert at it. Um, if you want me to throw your TV and fridge out the window, <laughs> I'd love to do that. Um, yeah, I think uh, th- those are the two that kind of, you know, initially spring to mind. There's probably heaps more, but yeah, they're the ones that, you know, really, uh, well, I guess Tim Schafer more from admire from afar and, and Morgan just, you know, come to uh, consider a friend now. You know, it's good to chat to. No, some really fantastic choices there. I, without having had the luxury of meeting any of those people yet, um, <laughs> looking at afar from afar as well, they are all fantastic. Yeah. Um, what have been some of those big, most valuable lessons you've picked up along the way about how to manage SMG or, um, or basically anything along the way? Has there been any particular thing that you've picked up along the way that you really value and it's been particularly important? I think um, from a business perspective, your game, I, I keep, I call it your game's virginity is the most um, valuable thing. So if you've got a game, it's most valuable to platforms and other people's minds before it's released, before it's even announced. Yeah. Because it could be, so it could be the biggest game in the world before it's released because, you know, you don't know it's Pandora's box or Schroeder's cat, right? Um, you can't know. So knowing that, that if you have a game that you haven't announced, that's the time that you want to start shopping it around and getting getting deals and getting um, platforms and that involved or excited by it before you release. Um, we didn't realize that with Death Squared. You know, like we'd already announced it and stuff, and it's only after you release then you go like, oh, there's a, you know, I can get some deals. So, so knowing that um, was probably a big eye opener. Just how you how you manage your um, your IP. Yeah, for sure. How you value that? Um, I think. I mean. Again, I've learned so much from the soap side, just of how managing people and hiring and running a business side of things. But yeah, I think the most challenges I've had was on the game side, just knowing that. Um, I think that's that's it. I think. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I think I think also just trying to uh, trying to give give as much as you receive as well. So, you know, the other one is like once once we did get these contacts of like. Oh, now I can talk to Xbox, and now I can, you know, talk to Nintendo. You know, when when I see other people that are like, oh, I want to talk to Nintendo, it's like, oh, well, let me let me do an intro. Um, yeah. Let me give that back because, you know, I had a few of those contacts given to me from other people, and it was like invaluable. So, um, yeah, give give give, and then you give without wanting to receive, or you know, like give as much as you expect to receive. I think is another valuable lesson. Like we can all help everybody get a leg up because then those people later on, they have contacts that I need and you know, there's no, there's no issue with me asking for those contacts because I've already shared back. So yeah, I think we're, I think if we're all lifting each other up, it can't be a bad thing. And that's not just in the gaming space. That's in any profession or any just walk of life. If you're just looking to help first and foremost, it makes a big difference. Yeah. And and knowing that we're not all in competition, I think in, in, in the digital industry, like there was a zero sum game. There's only so much marketing money, there's only so many clients in Australia that you can work with, but with yeah. gaming, it's like we're all we're all competing for the global attention and global wallet. So we, we shouldn't think that we're in competition with each other. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, last proper question before we deal with socials and all those sorts of things. Uh, yeah. Retroactively, of course, if there's any one game out there, is there any one game out there that you would retroactively add your name into the credits to? If if there was one, if I if I forced you to choose one, is there any one game that you would retroactively add your name into the credits? Uh, I'd love to love to claim some sort of responsibility for a particular yeah, game. Like uh, either Secret of Monkey Island or the Stanley Parable. Oh yeah, very good choices. 
Um, but if it came down to a financial decision, it would be like Fortnite. Cause then I'd just be like, well, yeah, there's, there's that, I guess I'd, I'd just be on like an Island, you know, getting my residuals, you know? Um, but yeah, I think monkey Island and uh, Stanley parable just from a sense of humor, um, point of view. No, fantastic choices. Uh, Ash, thank you very much for coming aboard for the podcast today. Uh, moving out is out now. So if you've enjoyed this chat, if you've enjoyed what you've seen of the game so far, you can actually go and buy it right this instant so please do so download the free demo yeah give that a go too if if you're not quite sure yet go and give that a go I'm sure this is speaking purely from my perspective here I'm sure you'll be sold on at that particular point and you should absolutely go and invest because it's it's shaping up really really well again speaking about this in a vacuum before release but I'm sure that's going to translate to a fantastic final product Um, Ash if people the listeners wish to get in contact with you track what you're up to learn more about some of those charts and sales and all those sorts of things that I was talking about before uh, where would they be best to go yeah just I think Twitter's the one we kind of update the most so just SMG studio no spaces at at Twitter that's probably the best one because if you know we update Facebook and other things like that but I think Twitter's the kind of stream of consciousness yeah, and as you said before, you, you're quite active. So if anyone wants to reach out with questions or or yeah. concerns or anything like that, I'm sure you'd be able to address those. Yeah, well. DMs, are, DMs are open, or you know, if they want to send an email, that's a bit easier to kind of um, get back to. Sometimes a week or a month too late, but yeah, DMs are open on Twitter just to have a chat if needed. Fantastic. Well, as I said before, Ash, thank you very much for coming aboard the show today. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on board. I've been tracking uh, you and your games for quite a few years now, and it's it, yeah. it was awesome to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Paul. Um, thank you for sharing your story. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time. That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. And until our next episode, however, that's been Ashley's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.